Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. So uh, why don't you open up with me in your Bibles to, if I didn't, I don't know if I mentioned this yet, Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. So good to have a number of people in here right now and again, everyone watching online. Matthew chapter 6. Uh, this is going to bring us to the end of our teaching series on the Word of God. Um, we've been in it for about the last month and a half, and I know we've had some disruptions where we've been online. But you can always go back into the podcast because it's. Um, I feel we're really stepping into a lot of things that the Lord has prophesied over, uh, winning hearts with the ancient way. And uh, Jeremiah actually says that um, the ancient way, part of it is coming back to a delight in the Word of God. And, and when we lose wonder of the word, we've got to come up with other ways to capture people's attention. You know, and we're coming back to a place where we're really just seeing Jesus in the word. So it's been a beautiful journey. And I really feel the Lord on today and uh, just have our hearts just again, just wrecked before the Lord and his word. So I want to share Matthew chapter six. We're going to start here. And I, I just want to get right into it. I had some other things, but I just feel to jump in. And um, we're going to go on a little bit of a journey today. But Matthew six, verse 22 to 23 specifically. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 to 23. And, and I, I promise to stay with me. This is going to connect to the word the Lord share me. But it says this. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. The eye is the lamp of the body. So in other words, in, in biblical times, you could hold a lamp and walk. And really, the lamp would set direction and course for where the body could go. Right? You'd follow the light. And likewise, the eye actually sets direction for the entire body. The eye actually sets the course for where the body or where the soul, where the heart will follow. And so it says, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And so to sum this up, the, 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 the simple like summary statement the Lord was speaking to me is that what you open your eye to, you open your soul to. Right? This is the principle of 2 Corinthians 3, which we'll get into, which is what you behold, you become. It's a very important thing, right? So when we, when we set our eyes, this is where we're going, when we set our eyes on the wondrous glory things of God and we behold his beauty, we're actually being transformed into that same image. But when we set our eyes on other things, things that, which could be dark, perverted, whatever it may be, that actually weighs on our soul. And a lot of us know firsthand without you know, the Lord what that looked like in our life. But the thing that God was stirring in my heart is that there is a massive battle for your eye. There is a massive battle for our eyes. There's a massive battle for the eyes of this generation. And that's what I felt God stirring in my heart, the battle for our eyes. Right now in this hour, like there is something going on in this generation. And I, it happened in Jesus' hour, but I think especially now, there is something, there's a war that's waging for where our eyes are going, for where our attention is going, for what we're beholding. And I, I felt like the Lord, like speaking in my heart, is where is the gaze of this generation? Like, what is this generation really beholding? What are we really setting our attention on? What are we really looking at? And as I was just getting quiet before the Lord, to first just kind of emphasize, like, the crisis areas, I felt God mentioned two things, that the gaze of this generation is twofold. Number one, it's distracted. And number two, it's been defiled. It's been defiled. What do I mean by distracted? I mean that there are things which are permissible according to the Bible, but they are lesser things to the knowledge of God. And we have a generation right now because of social media and the age of entertainment where these things may in essence seem harmless, but we're actually filling ourselves in the space that we have to be caught up and occupied with the glory of God. 
And as a result, we have a generation whose spirits, even in the church, have been dulled. We're unresponsive to the Lord. Like the fiery passion that we are called to walk in, it's just, it's lacking. I see it in my life when I get caught up in that. We have a bored generation. Like we are meant to be a fascinated people. That's not a bad, God put that desire in us. We are meant to see the glory of the Lord. Like we are creating the image of God. Which means unlike the rest of creation, what that means is not to exalt man, but to say, as glorious as trees and the water is, they all testify to God, but none of them can know God. We are made in the image of God, meaning we can connect with the uncreated one. It's what we were made for. And so, sometimes when we realize how distracted we are and what we're missing out on, right? And so in one sense, we have a generation that is deeply distracted. I mean, I... Social media, as much as it's a beautiful thing, it's, it's set up to catch your eye. Yeah. That, I mean, you go through your news feed, you're like, wait a minute, I was just talking about this, or this is what I've been searching. The whole premise is that when you're going through, there's going to be a feed on there that ultimately will catch your gaze. And before you know it, we've got hours upon hours where we're looking upon things that may not be wrong, but they're robbing us of what we were made for. They're robbing wonder in the church. They're robbing like being fascinated with the Lord. And the other side is not just distracted, but defiled. And, and there's a lot of you know, things that we could highlight, but I think one of the biggest ones that really plagues this nation is, is the idea of porn. This is such a major, major issue in this nation. Do you know that it's, it's a $15 billion industry? $15 billion, billion with all trends revealing that it's just going to continue to accelerate northward. Like, that's, that's incredible. And the reality is, is that it's killing people's lives. Men and women, because it's robbing them from being able to discern and experience true pleasure. Because they were made for real pleasure. That desire is real, but we're finding it in the wrong stuff, and it's actually what we set our eyes on begins to pervert our soul. This is not to, this is not to um, uh, uh, put down, because my life was touched deeply by that before I knew the Lord. I felt the effects of that. But this is to know that there's a battle that's waging for our eyes because the enemy knows the eye is the lamp to the body. And God wants to set people free even in this hour. God wants to deliver a generation from cheap pleasures. He wants to deliver a generation from watered down joy and fascination. With what? With revealing the superior pleasure, which is himself. And how does it? If the, the battle is the eye, what we need to do is we need to see him, his wonder, his beauty, his glory. We need to behold the Lord. Now, how do you do that? That's where we're going to go. Is there are many disciplines, worship, prayer, all these things can set our attention. But what we find, the pattern in the scriptures, is actually the word of God. One of the clearest ways that we behold the glory of the Lord is in the scriptures. And as we behold him and see him, and this book becomes more than just statistics and facts learned about Jesus, but we start getting alone and saying, God, open my eyes to see the wonderful things like David cried out. Our hearts start getting moved again. The point today is not to teach us how to just get good at saying no. You can live the rest of your life. The point is how to say yes to the right thing. And when you say yes to the right thing, no just follows behind that. Are you with me? So listen, it's interesting. It says the eye says, so if your eye is healthy, healthy, well, healthy, the Greek word is haplos, which actually means single or simple, which means the healthy eye is the single eye. It's, 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 see, we're in an age, I just see, like, again, uh, there's so many benefits to what the, the hour that we're living, but there is so much distraction going on. And an unhealthy eye is an eye that's wandering to all these different things. The Lord is going to, is literally going to deliver a generation with bring us back to a single eye, a one thing eye, an eye in which we behold the Lord. I could share so many other scriptures that reveal this, but 
over and over, we see that the battle is really for the eyes. What are we looking at? What are we putting before us? Uh, Job 31.1, he says, I made a covenant with my eyes that I would not look lustfully upon a woman. Now, again, I I'm not just talking today just about lust and that, but that is a major thing in this country. I mean, because there's billboards, there's everything that can catch our eyes um, that, is, that, is, that is sexual, like, driven content. But Job said he recognized something. He says, I'm going to win this war. I've got to watch my eyes, right? The battle's for the eyes. So when we get into the word of God and we begin to have our eyes open to the beauty of the Lord, this is how we fight in the hour that we're in, for the battle of our eyes, right? So I want, I want you real quick to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, please. 2 Corinthians 3. I remember uh, as we were even sharing this, and there's so many things that reveal this. When Eve, when Eve ate the forbidden fruit, it said she first looked upon it. She looked upon it. It's something about she's let her eyes begin to be set on something, and that began really to entertain something in her heart. David, when he sinned with Bathsheba, it said he looked upon Bathsheba first. He first looked upon her. The battle's right here, guys. Whether it's something that distracts us or whether it's things that defile us, the Lord says, I want to I get your eyes set on the right thing. And 2 Corinthians 3, it's um, a few scriptures I'm going to share today are ones that I know that are um, staples here. We share a lot, but I just believe there's some freshness on it. And, and the entire Christian walk, like us living this, this new covenant faith, it really comes down to us continually seeing Jesus. Like Hebrews 12, 2 says, fixing our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. The whole thing is, if we stop seeing Jesus, man, the, our whole life starts shaking. We have to continually see the Lord. And 2 Corinthians 3 is one of these like, beautiful illustrations and, and depictions of this. 2 Corinthians 3 is where Paul begins to just expound on the superiority of the new covenant. So he begins to just, he begins, in many ways he says the old covenant, it was glorious, but actually it was a fading glory compared to the new. He says actually it was a ministry of death and condemnation in compared to what we have now. So this whole chapter, chapter 3, is he's just like laying out these weighty, like heavy statements saying, man, what we have now and how we can relate to God, this new order, in Christ, through the Spirit, because of His blood that was shed, He says, man, you can't even compare the two. But then He gets to this one verse in verse 18, and it's like Paul is just getting out to, to like the anchor of the new covenant now. It's like Paul is going to tell us, and it, with all of the ways in which this new covenant is superior, here's like what we can do that we couldn't do before. It's as if Paul says, you want to know like what we can walk in that we couldn't? It's right here. And in verse 18 of chapter 3, He says this, He says, and we pastors... He says, and, and we leaders of the church. Now he says, and we all, every single person, as we've been called to salvation, have been called to the depths of Jesus Christ. Yeah. We, have, we are all created to see the beauty of the Lord. Yeah. It's the only way, it's the only way you can fight in this hour of, of entertainment and media and all that we have is we've got to set our eyes on the right thing. And Paul says, here's what we can do now in the new covenant. We all, with unveiled face, He's making a, a, a comparison to, to Moses, who when he asked to see the glory of the Lord, it was so limited and restricted. But now he's saying we all with unveiled face can what? Beholding the glory of the Lord. Paul's like, you want to know what it's all about now? At the heart of the new covenant, you can now set your eyes on the glory of the Lord. You can behold. We say, what is that? What is the glory? The glory is the weightiness of God's nature and character. We can see his holiness, his love, his compassion, his justice. We can actually see the invisible God now. 
How? How do we behold the glory of the Lord? Well, if you keep reading it, chapter 4, it says, we behold the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ. So in the person of Jesus Christ. So we, when we set our eyes on the Lord and see Jesus, we're actually beholding the glory of the invisible God. Because the invisible God became visible in Jesus. You say, okay, that sounds good, but how do you set your eyes on Jesus? How do you behold the Lord? Now, there's many ways that we can do that. Again, worship, prayer, all these things. But if you read the context in this, the primary way in which he says to behold the Lord is in the gospel. Right. It's actually in the word. And that's why he says that the God of this age seeks to blind the minds of unbelievers that they would not see the glory of God or the glory of Jesus in the gospel message. So when we get in this word from Genesis to Revelation... And we begin to just like peel this thing open and we see Jesus everywhere. We're actually beholding the glory of the Lord. And what we're beholding is what we're becoming. That's what this says. Sometimes we don't even realize it. Like, you know, when you work out and, and you get in the mirror after two months, you're like, man, I'm not even changing. <laughs> and then you get to someone who hasn't seen you in two months. You're like, you look great. You're like, really? Wow, I didn't even notice that. Sometimes when you see yourself every day, you don't notice the change. But as you behold the Lord, whether you recognize it or not in the word, you're actually changing. And you're beginning to reflect and radiate the same glory. Look what it says. Let me finish this. It says, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That's incredible. Guys, this is what we were made for, the beauty realm. We were made to see the glory of the Lord. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We were actually created to live in that place, but sin made us fall short. But Jesus has reinstated us for us to see it again. The very thing that makes our hearts come alive. Which means that every time you see Jesus in this word, every interaction, every, every word, every movement, every emotion, every smile, every time you see the person of Jesus from Genesis to Revelation, it's an invitation to move past the exterior life of God and into the interior life of the uncreated one. Every time you see Jesus, it's God saying, I want you to see the invisible God. Come here and look upon him. And this is where we find true wonder, true beauty. And the primary way of which we can behold the Lord is right here in the scriptures. This is where the battle is. And I, I promise you, I, I just feel the Lord is, man, as we step into it in this hour, like this, this word is going to be so much more than, than doctrinal statements that we put on a website to, to remember. Like that, that, is, that is great that we're all on the same page, but this thing's going to come alive and our eyes are going to be open to the glory of the Lord. It's right in here. And he says, if we set our hearts to say, Lord, I need, my, I need my eyes and my heart opened up. God says, you're going to see something. It's going to wreck you. And the most beautiful, it's going to stun you. And your eyes are going to be focused on this thing and not wandering to all other places. So turn with me to Psalm 27. Please. Psalm 27. I want to just share two other scriptures with you guys. Uh, Psalm 27, then we're going to move and close in Psalm 119. 176 verses, Psalm 119. We're going to read through every one, line by line, word by word study. <laughs> no, I'm only highlighting two verses in there. Um, but Psalm 27, I want to share this. Again, this is another text that we talk a lot about. Like, if you've been a part of this body, I mean, this is a staple. We preach the full counsel of God's word, but God just highlights certain scriptures and things that really mark a body. And this psalm, and specifically this verse, has been a staple for... For our body. But what I want us to see real quick and, and with a fresh lens is I want us to see what marks the life of David, and then I want us to see that connection to Psalm 119. Okay, so we're going somewhere here. 
Psalm 27 is really going to be a means to an end for us today. Um, this psalm captures, this psalm, specifically verse 4 that we're going to read, captures the heart, captures the heart of David. It captures what makes David tick. Psalm 27, like David has many titles and many accomplishments. David was the one who was divinely anointed as king. And he was promised that his line, his line would be an eternal royal lineage. Jesus would come in the line of David. Right? David is a military hero. He conquered giants and surrounding nations. David expanded his own territory to such a degree that Israel nearly occupied all that was promised through Abraham. Um, he, he's had battle, he returned the Ark of the Covenant back into uh, to Jerusalem. I mean, he restored God at the center of his people. Matthew 21.9, when Jesus is at his triumphal entry, what we call Passover Sunday, as he enters in, the greatest title that the people, the crowds, could think of to say over Jesus was, Hosanna, son of David. Like, David was a special man, and he had so many faults and failures and brokenness, and he was set apart. But what set David apart, what defined his life, was that he had this consuming passion to experience the heart of God. He was a man after God's own heart, it says. And, and even though he did all of these things, this is what distinguished David from all the rest. Although he was one of the wealthiest and most powerful individuals of his day, ambition is not the central motive of his life. That's not what drove him. Psalm 27.4 is one of the clearest places where we find out what drove the life of David and what separated him from the rest. And so let's, let's read verse 4. He says this. He says, one thing I have desired of the Lord. One thing. Well, that's interesting. That sounds like the single eye of Matthew 6. He says, one thing I'm desiring. My eye is upon one thing. David's saying, what brings others joy doesn't bring me joy. What others define as success, I'm not impressed by. Like, we were created with this appetite right here. To, to, to just be in awe, awestruck of his ways, overwhelmed by his person. And David says, here's one thing that I'm after. One thing I've desired of the Lord. That will I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To what? To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. In other words, David is confessing. He knew his heart would fail without fresh revelation of God. David's like, I've got to see the Lord. I've got to behold his beauty, his glory. Daily, consistently, because I know if I don't, my eyes will start to wander. This is the cry that's got to be in our hearts in this hour. Lord, I've got to see your beauty. I've got to see the wonderful things in the word. I've got to see your glory. This is what keeps our heart burning for the Lord. Like, like the seraphim, the, the holy creatures in the throne room of God of Revelation 4. Right? We've talked about them. They're covered in eyes. Now that may sound strange, but what they do as a result is not strange. And that is that they worship day and night unceasingly. Crying out, holy, holy, holy. I get bored sometimes after five minutes of the same song. These guys for millions of years have been crying out. Why? Because they're covered with eyes and they're forever seeing new and fresh revelation of the infinite God. Yes. He's deathless. He's boundless. Like you can't, you can never exhaust him. And they're forever seeing him crying out. And their name is seraphim, meaning burning ones. They burn because they're always seeing fresh revelation of who he is. I get the picture of once they begin to stop, they see it and they crash down again. And they fall in it and say, holy, holy, holy. Now, what's so interesting is that when we, when we started this series, we were on the road to Emmaus with those disciples who they couldn't, Jesus concealed his identity. 
But Jesus revealed himself through the word. He opened up the prophets and Moses and how it all pointed to him. And as they received a revelation of who Jesus is, the scriptures say that they said, did not our hearts burn within us? <laughs> the burning heart was the result of fresh revelation of God. Where? In the word. They saw Jesus in the word. They were beholding the glory of the Lord in the word. And the result was their hearts began to burn. When I... When I Man, when I read this, I, I feel like I can almost hear David asking, like, do you know what motivates and drives me? <laughs> like, do, do, do you know, like, the, the one thing, like, when no one is watching, this is what I'm after? It's the beauty of the Lord. I need to see him. David says, take my fortune, take my fame, but do not take his face. This is the one thing that I want. And he actually says, all the days of my life. In other words, he's saying, do you, know, do you know the desire that burns in my heart day and night every day? He says, it's this thing right here. I'm not after all the other things. For David, it didn't matter if he was on a hill in Bethlehem as a young shepherd boy or if he was as a grown man sitting in the throne of Jerusalem. To him, payday was the same. It's him. And he says, this is all that I want. And so I just want to be like really clear that this is what drives the life of David is that he said, I need to see the Lord. And now I want you to see, real quick, turn with me to Psalm 119. I want you to see this beautiful connection in the life of, of David. Psalm 119. Psalm 27 proclaims the greatest desire of David's heart is to set his eyes on the Lord. And then we come into Psalm 119 because the question becomes, again, how does David primarily, how does David primarily see the Lord? And we come to the Psalm, Psalm 119. Now, when you go into the earliest Hebrew commentaries on this, which it would be the Talmud or the Midrash, all rabbis overwhelmingly say David is the writer of Psalm 119. Like, there's no doubt about it. And he comes into this. In Psalm 119, we begin to see David peel back his heart and give us a glimpse into uh, his deep love affair with the Word of God. Like, that's what this entire Psalm is about, is David saying, come and see, like, what drives me, Right? And as, as the beauty of the Lord is the, his desire, we're going to find out that it's in the word of God where David really sees the beauty of the Lord. Now, I want to encourage you with something. Psalm 119 is a psalm that even myself have kind of glanced through a lot. And I find that happens often for two reasons. We often uh, say it's too long or it's too repetitive. It's 176 verses. It is the longest um, uh, book in the entire Bible. And it's all about David's love affair with the word of God. But I promise you this, when you begin to read it, you don't even need to turn here, but I was, this one hit me this morning or, or last night. Verse 20 says, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. I mean, this is like, when you read through this, you begin to ask, what does David know about the word of God that I don't know? And that's not to say, oh, David's so much better. It's actually God inviting to say, this could be for you as well. David saw things in, in the word of the Lord. David, just so you guys know, this is written in 22 stanzas. It's called an acrostic poem. So what it is is that each stanza is represented by the Hebrew alphabet, a letter. So we would have 26, right? We have 26 letters. It would be like 26 stanzas. So he goes through 22 stanzas. Uh, he uses 10 different words to describe the word of God. So he uses law, statutes, decrees, testimonies. Um, and they, all, they do emphasize some different things, but at the end of the day, they all constitute the communication of God's heart to ours. No matter how you look at it, that's what David's really getting at, right? Yeah. And so I want you to, uh, there's two verses I want to highlight that just so bring home what we've been sharing. But I want you to specifically see uh, verse 1 for a second. 
Psalm 119, verse 1. This is the main interpretive, of, uh, main interpretive key of this psalm. And listen to 176 verses are being set in motion by this one verse. And he says this. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, who walk in the word of God. So he begins by saying this. He says, blessed. I feel like this word keeps coming up over and over in our messages. And we've shared this before, but blessed means the envied life. Actually, if you look in the Hebrew, it actually means happy. Right. Think about this. He, he begins by saying, happy is the one. Why is this important? Because I think part of the pull of the distracted eye in this generation is that there is a deep longing for happiness. Now, Jesus never rebukes us for that desire. He never rebukes that desire for happiness. The issue is always where we're looking to fulfill it. Every person in this room is looking for happiness, and the Lord says, I gave you that desire. But I want to teach you how to actually find fulfillment in it. Do you know that multi-billion dollar industries, the proof is in the pudding, they, they are so successful because they, they make money off of our desires for happiness. The, the, the film industry, the food industry, the fashion industry, the sports industry, the, the, the overabundance that they bring in is actually from us paying because we're so hungry for happiness. We're looking all over trying to find, and David says, you want to know who the happiest people are? Those who embrace the word of God with their full heart. And those who begin to encounter God through the word. Do you imagine how countercultural that would be in this hour? <laughs> With all of the entertainment, all that we have, a people begin to rise up that say, my greatest joy, my greatest pleasure, I'm most happy when I'm in the word of God meeting with him. What do you mean? You didn't see the latest movie? No, no, I love this. <laughs> like my, my previous life before the Lord did a lot of crazy things as most of you, but nothing, nothing has ever exhilarated my heart. Like some of the encounters and experiences I've had with Jesus in the Word of God. Yes. None of them could ever do with them. In fact, a lot of them, they made, gave me this high, and then at the end, I was more broken and empty than I was before. Nothing has moved my heart like being in here. And David says, happy is the word that he, he begins with here. David's, David's declaring that his primary source of entertainment is the Word of God. And he says something else I want to highlight. He says, blessed are those whose way is blameless. Whose way is blameless. Now what does that mean? That term would be holiness. Now stay with me for a moment. Because I was all jacked up growing up in the faith because I thought happiness and holiness were oxymorons. I thought they were on opposite ends of the spectrum and I thought I had to make a choice. Either you can be happy, but you're certainly not going to walk in holiness. Or you can be holy, but I tell you this, you will never be happy in this life. And what David's actually saying is happy is the man who's holy. David's actually saying happiness is the key to holiness. Meaning when you start to be filled with wonder and pleasure for God, that's the way you actually get it set on fire to walk with him. Yes. You're learning to say yes rather than just getting really good at saying no. Mm -hmm. David's not teaching us a Christian walk that is centered on begrudgingly saying no to sin. He's not like, guys, this is just awful. He's like, blessed, happy is the one who walks in holiness. So <laughs> happiness is the key to holiness and holiness is the key to happiness. Mm -hmm. You'll never be truly happy unless you're walking in line with what God has made you. No matter what the world says. Give your body away to this, do this, do that. You will never be happy until you're walking in holiness. Yes. And David's really putting the word of God as like this glue that brings those two together. Happy holiness. <laughs> Should make that a, the title. Switch it up. Happy holiness. All right. Let's finish these last two verses. Verse 18. So verse 18. There's just two verses I'm going to highlight. Again, talking about the battle for our eyes. Verse 18 says... 
Open, look what, look what he says. He says, open my eyes that I may what? Behold. <laughs> David's one desire, behold the glory of the Lord, uh, the beauty of the Lord. I mean, these things all overlap, but to behold the, the beauty of the Lord. And he says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Now, does this, does this sound strange to anyone that he's saying for his eyes to be open? I mean, what is he reading this with closed eyes? <laughs> No, of course not. But we have physical and spiritual senses. Jesus said in Revelation, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is speaking. And David's actually acknowledging a serious issue, and he knows the possibility of it, and I've had it in my life, where he says, I can be reading this word of God with my natural eyes open, but the eyes of the Spirit are closed. He says I, he knows that there's a possibility he could be reading this word, growing and understanding in terms of facts and and numbers and all these things are what the Lord's doing. But at the end of the day, his heart is actually not being moved and touched. The, 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 the senses of his spirit, the spirit of revelation is actually closed. This is why Paul in Ephesians 1 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, opened. That you would know all wisdom and knowledge and revelation of Jesus. This is a cry for the spirit of revelation. Like in this hour, there's something the Lord does and there's something on our end. And the Lord is looking for people who are going to have this type of desperate cry that say, Lord, open my eyes. Open my eyes, Lord. I know it's so easy for me to wake up, read this, even write down some really good points, but my heart has not been moved. And David's saying, God, you've got to open my eyes that when I get in this word, I'm seeing wonderful things. I'm seeing your beauty, Lord. I'm not just encountering stale, emotionless theories about God. But I'm encountering the real, authentic one. My heart is being moved. It's, it's the cry of the blind Bartimaeus. On the side of the road, when Jesus walked by, he said, Son of David, have mercy on me. And, and he stopped. And he healed him. He opened his eyes. As Bartimaeus cried out for his natural eyes to be opened, there has to be a cry in this hour because of the, the hour that we're living in the battle we're waging, where we say, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. Open my eyes. Every morning coming before the scripture saying, Lord, I can't read through this like it's just another checklist on my day. I've got to see you, Lord. Open my eyes to see you. David said in Psalm 13, 3, he says, enlighten my eyes or open my eyes lest I sleep in death. That's like the cry of a heart right now, guys. There's so we, How will we ever stand in the generation we're in? It's only with seeing the real thing. And we, there's a measure of humility here. We're saying, Lord, I need your grace to touch my life. Or I know like death, and we could be children of God, I'm not saying that, but just like the death of being distracted and looking at all these other things. Second Kings 6, Elisha and his servant are surrounded by a multitude of armies, right? We know this story where the, the servant comes out, two men surrounded by hundreds of thousands of, of, of soldiers, and the servant says, what are we going to do? And Elisha says to the servant, speaking to the Lord, he says, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And all of a sudden he began to see that there were armies of the heavenlies around the, the natural army that was surrounding them. Two men in the same place, but seeing two different things. Right? You can have two people going through the same study in the word, but two people are seeing totally different things because one has the eyes of their heart being opened up to it. Yeah. He says what? He says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your wondrous. Wondrous <laughs> That seems, I don't know about you, but some of my life, that's just, I'm like, David, what are you seeing? What are you seeing? I've had those pockets of men. We need this restored. The, the, David is confessing everything but a word that is dry, stale, wearisome, boring, archaic, dull, irrelevant. 
He's like, oh, no, no, no. I love to behold God's beauty in this. Lord, open my eyes to wonderful things. There are wonderful things about the man Jesus that the Lord is just waiting to have us see and hear. Yeah. We, we need that. Man, we need the spirit. Of, we need to cry for the spirit of revelation this hour. We, like, we can talk about this, but we need to actually start opening our mouths and say, Lord, we need this. We need, we need wonder restored. We need wonder restored in pulpits. We need wonders restored in congregations. Like, we, we really need to have the wonder of God moving in hearts again. Rather than having leadership teams where we're going through business as, as normal, but we're addicted to lesser things. And we're robbing the church of a spirit of revelation and wonder again. We need, we need places where when people come in, it's like, oh my goodness, there's God. Look at these people. They've seen something. They've tasted something. They've encountered something. Like if, if our information about God does not lead us to wonder, something is really off. This is so, so critical. And I've like been in seminary, and man, this is so critical, is that if our study is not leading us unto worshiping God, something's off. We actually, what we need to do is go back and unlearn what we've been taught, and discover the truth about who God is. Yes. If it's not continually leading us to fall on our knees in awe and wonder, something's off. Yes. We were made to be stunned again and again and again with the glory of God. And I just feel there's, we're in an hour, there's just like this deadness when we come to the word. It's just being presented as, man, it's just, it's just boring. And God's restoring something fresh. Something fresh when it comes to the word of the Lord. And if you don't, if you don't believe me, just think about this. Anywhere, anything you read in the word of God, we can find the wonder of the Lord. Because David says this, he says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Now again, that could be summarized general, the word of God. But think about this. Is David reading the miracles of Jesus? <laughs> What's David probably reading? David's reading books like Leviticus, where we've got laws of the priesthood. And we're seeing literally the, the, uh, one after another of how they would sacrifice animals. Crystal said it's like a butcher. <laughs> All because of the sacrificial system. But somehow David reads that and says, oh my goodness, it's so wonderful. <laughs> when I see that, I just see God's order, whatever it is. I see God's holiness. Something stirs his heart. David's reading books like Numbers, which after the third sense, census, I'm banging my head against the wall. And, and I don't know what it is, but David's like, oh my goodness, when I see that, I see God's faithfulness through the, through the lineage. He's like, oh, there's something that just woos my heart when I read that. And it causes me to worship him. Anywhere you go in the scriptures, Paul, Paul, Paul amazes me. Paul writes about some heavy, theological, weighty things. And then he just, you ever notice he'll just erupt in praise? I don't know if you ever, like, see that. It'll be a verse, and you're like, what happened? And he goes back to where he was. And, and I feel that what's happening is as the Lord's having him write, Paul's being touched by what he's writing about. Now, you may say, oh, yeah, but that's when he's talking about Jesus dying for us and the healings and acts. Well, of course, that leads it. But how about when he's going through 1 Timothy 3, the, the qualifications of elders and deacons? Really riveting stuff, guys. I mean, it has you on the edge of your seat. And in 1 Timothy 3, uh, verse 16, as he's writing these things out of the qualifications, he says, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. All right, now this is what we have to do if you're a deacon. <laughs> it's like in the midst of it, he's just overwhelmed. By what? I don't know, but I, I know that he's seeing the wonder of God in his word. Yeah. Perhaps it's the wisdom of God of how he orchestrated his church, how Jesus laid down his life in this very church that's being formed. But whatever it is, he's seeing it. In, in Romans 11, uh, Paul is talking about a really weighty subject of the reconciliation, the mystery of Israel and the church. And in the midst of it, he says this in verse 33 of chapter 11. 
He says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable or mysterious are his ways. And he goes back to the church of Israel. <laughs> He's moved. All theology is unto doxology. There's a book that Crystal's reading that, uh, that uh, Jeremy Rill goes into this. All theology is unto doxology. What is theology? It's the study of God. What is doxology? It's ultimately the worship of God. If our study doesn't lead unto worship, something's off. David says there's wondrous things all throughout the word of the Lord. And so let me read this one last verse. We'll close here. Verse um, 37. Psalm 119, verse 37. He not only says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things, but he's about to acknowledge the battle over eyes. Because in this verse, verse 37, he now says, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. And give me life in your ways. Revive me according to your word. So in one sense, David says, Lord, you need to open my eyes to see beautiful things. And then on the other sense, he says, now shut my eyes to the worthless things. Mm. Now this is important. This is where we started off. Worthless means empty or nothing. Which means he's not just talking about the blatantly sinful things. He's talking about, again, the lesser things. He's talking about the things that are in culture or permissible and we would deem harmless, even by the word of God standards, but they're lesser to what we have access to in the Lord. And we fill ourselves with that. Good is the greatest enemy of best. And I want you, if before we leave, I want you to catch some, to use this analogy, this is what I was saying about, I'm not talking about watching PG movies versus rated R movies. Because here's what happens in my life. <laughs> I shut off the R movie, I pat myself on the back, and then I go fill myself with 50 PG movies throughout the week. <laughs> now listen, it may seem like it's harmless, but it's just as effective in disconnecting me from connection with the Lord. That's not what it's about. The question is, are we allowing space that could be filled with the knowledge of God to be occupied with lesser things? Are we allowing space that could be filled with the beauty of the Lord was what we were made for, the wondrous things of God? Are we allowing that space to be occupied by lesser things? And no matter how many times I get pulled, when I come back to this simple truth, I'm always like, why, Lord? Why was I setting my attention on these other things? So maybe uh, Brittany and Caesar, we don't need everyone to come up, but if you guys don't mind coming up. Yeah, we can just do Bernie and Caesar. <laughs> so it's not as crowded up here, that's all. <laughs> no offense. Rob is ready to go. He's ready for the call. I heard the word everyone. <laughs> oh, maybe I did. I messed up. Sorry. Yeah, I just want to take, uh, I want to take a few minutes before we leave to really just have a time before the Lord. And, and it's not so much even about laying hands right now. Um, I mean, if when we close, if people want that, that's, that's fine. But I just feel we really need a time before the Lord just to worship and and even just to ask, even just to ask, right? Because sometimes I read this and I'm like, where do I start? Because my desire is not even really there. And you just begin to ask God for that desire. You begin to ask the Lord, say, give me a desire where I want my eyes to be open. And the Lord will do it. And I believe the Lord will do it right now. Yeah. For those of you watching from home, I believe the Lord will do it right in your house as well. You don't need to be here. He's there with you. He's in you. And we don't need to wait for next week's gathering. He's Emmanuel, God with us. So whatever it looks like for you at home and here, you guys can stand, you can sit, you can stay right where you are. But I do just think um, we just need to connect with God in this for a moment before we leave. And really um, say, Holy Spirit, 
don't don't let what, what we've been engaging in today, like don't let it go in one ear and out the other. Don't let it say, wow, that was, yeah, I want to do that, and then walk out and never make life adjustments. I feel that in my own life right now. So Lord, I just pray right now for every person in this room, every person watching online. I pray that we're about to walk into an hour. The Lord wouldn't highlight this. I said the Lord would not highlight this if he did not have every intention of bringing this into fruition. And the Lord is calling us into an hour where we're going to be stunned by the wonder and beauty and glory and knowledge of God in his word. So Lord, I just refute every lie that says it's for the person next to us, but I'll never be able to really state these words like David over your word. And I just pray, Lord, that, that you would give us, that there would be a voice that rises up within us, a cry to have the eyes of our heart open, and that we, God, we would not silence that, we would not put it off. I pray for those, Lord, that have searched after happiness. God, not even in bad places, but they're just, they're not enough. They're not enough. And I just pray we would take hold to the words of Psalm 119. Blessed, happy is the man or woman who walks in the word of God, whose life comes into alignment with your word. I pray, Lord, that we would be a countercultural church that declares that holiness is actually the key to happiness and it's not the key to missing out on things. Sure, we may miss out on activities, but your heart will not miss out. So those things in the end just kill you. Do it now, Lord. Do it now, Lord. In what can seem like just another Sunday, awaken our hearts that this would be a, a difference maker in our lives, Lord. From this moment forth, God, a cry in our spirit, a one thing I. Oh, that we would have a healthy eye, Lord as a body and individually, that our eye would be healthy in this hour when there are so many unhealthy eyes. We would testify to who you are through the one thing I.